All right, before we jump into our passage, what we do every Sunday is we start with our young ones to let them know what the passage is going to be about and what the sermon is going to be about. So young ones, if I can have your attention, if you remember last time what we, we started off, I asked you like, hey, is this true story or made up story uh, of things that are going on right now? This morning what we're going to do is a true story or made up of what's coming in the future, Okay. So one day, is this true or did I just make this up? One day we will have space elevators. Elevators that can take you all the way out into outer space. Sanders, what do you think? True or made up? It is true. It is true. They're working on them, right? There are like two that are almost ready to go. And how the science works out there at the equator, I don't understand it. But it's true. How about this one? Uh, okay, uh, you don't have to worry about the weather. Uh, in the future, one day you won't have to worry about the weather because we're going to live in giant glass domes. I don't think that's true. I just made that up. Uh, okay, it could be true. And if it is true, it's my idea. Uh, okay, uh, how about this one? Uh, time travel. Is time travel going to be a thing one day? Okay, well, th listen to this. What they're saying is not like, oh, I can go like 100 years into the past, but they are saying that they, have, they, they believe they can bend time in such a way, like to the extent of like 15 seconds. Like that you can go back in time like 15 seconds. And like you had just a terrible moment, you can go back 15 seconds and redo that moment. True or made up? Yes, yeah, totally made up. <laughs> that was Justin's idea this morning. <laughs> so if it does become true, Justin gets credit. Okay, how about this? Uh, one day you will be able to print food. Yes, that's what they say, that one day, like 3D printers are going to be able to 3D print food. Uh, how about this one? Uh, one day, meals in a pill. You could just eat a whole meal by just taking a pill. They're going to make these pills. What do we think? Yay, nay? Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Russell. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, what about a pill? Made up. Totally made up. The science doesn't work. Okay, what about this one? Smart toilets. Talking about food. Smart toilets where, you know, whatever you put in the toilet, the toilet will analyze it and say, hey, you need to be eating more of this, or hey, something's wrong here, hey. Yes. <laughs> They're making those. Uh, okay. Okay, last one. How about this one? Uh, shrink rays. Like Alice in Wonderland, like, um, uh, honey, I shrunk the kids way older than you kids. Uh, uh, shrink ray, something that will like actually shrink stuff. One day. Henry says not possible. Okay, I'm lying. I made it up. No, they're not. And like they've tried. The, the Russians are, are working on something like this. Or maybe they're working on an invisibility cloak, which is also made up. Uh, but no, you can't shrink atoms. I don't know why, but you can't. Scientists say you can't, and there's a molecular distance thing that you can't shrink, whatever. Okay. Do any of those, do you really care about any of those, whether or not they're true? Do those make any difference to your life today? Not, I mean, not really. But listen to this one. Y'all, listen. Someone, oh, I just said time travel is not possible. Okay. <laughs> that ruins this one. Dang it. Okay, imagine, <laughs> imagine someone came to me from the future, and they did. Someone came to me in the future, and they told me that sharks are smarter than we know. 
And uh, they have developed breathing machines that are going to allow them to breathe out of water. And very, very soon, y'all, they're going to invade the surface of the earth. And they're going to take over the world. And we have to move to the moon to survive. If that was true, it's not true. But if that was true, would that affect your life? Yes. Okay, so there is some stuff you're like, obviously that would affect our lives. Okay, did you know that the resurrection of Jesus is like that? It's like that kind of shark news taking over the world only bigger. 2,000 years ago, kids, a man, a man named Jesus died, and he died on the cross. And he said he died on the cross to, to pay the penalty for all your sin, to take all of God's wrath that we should get for our sin. He died on the cross, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. Okay, and if you believe in him, you will go to heaven. Like, you'll die, your soul will go to heaven, your body will go in the grave, but then, but then, at some point, this Jesus will get your body out of the grave. At the end of the world, he'll get your body out of the grave, he'll put your soul back into your body, and he'll glorify you in such a way to where you're more powerful, more good, more awesome, and beautiful than anything you could imagine. And you will live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and never die. Do you believe that? That, y'all, that is the gospel. Like, that's what we say we believe here. And it can be easy, kids, young ones, it can be easy to say, well, yeah, of course, I believe the resurrection. Yeah, I believe that stuff. Y'all, stop for a moment and think how crazy that is. It's true, but it's crazy. This is what the Bible says is going to happen. Let me ask you this. The question is, what difference does that make today? What difference does that make to you today? Like, do you believe that you're going to live forever? Well, okay, that's good. <laughs> you're going to die. But then where's your soul? Is your soul going to live forever? Okay, is that it? Is that the end of the story? No. Is Jesus going to come back and get your body out of the grave? And are you going to live, 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 live forever and ever and ever? Yes. Okay. Now, wait a sec. Does that give you, like, think about your body. Think of, like, if you get hurt or you get sick. Like, does that give you hope when you're sick or hurt or when you see someone else sick or hurt? Or does that make you mad at your body? Like, does, does the hope that you're going to live forever with your body, only your body's going to be even more awesome, does that make you love your body more or hate your body more? Does that make you want to take care of yourself and take care of others more or less? Trying to tell, like, trying to teach, y'all, I know this is like deep, hard stuff. Does it make a difference if you're going to have this body forever? Does it make a difference how you think about yourself and how you think about others? It does. How about this? Does it make a difference? This is the big one, last one. Does it make a difference if Jesus is alive or, or dead right now? Y'all, it makes all the difference, and it's easy to forget that stuff. If he is alive right now, that means he can help you with whatever you're going through. It means he'll love you in whatever you're going through. It means he can comfort you right now in whatever you're going through because you do not worship a dead God. You don't worship a dead Savior. Your Savior is alive. He's with you right now. It changes everything for our future. It also changes everything about our lives right now. That's what we're going to look at today. We're in the Gospel of Mark this fall. Each gospel has this artistic pattern to it. 
and, and we're making it to highlight that same gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and what it means. And we've been through all these different kinds of stories according to Mark's storytelling, brilliant technique. Last week we were in the passion stories. Uh, the past two weeks we've been there. And now we're in this resurrection story of Jesus. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word, Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, uh, this week, I heard about a minister up in Greenwich Village in New York City who was he's preaching last Easter. Uh, and after the service, a man came up to him and said, so Jesus rose from the dead. So what? But insert expletive between so and what? Uh, like, y'all, have you ever pondered that query uh, aloud or in your head? Like the so what question, Jesus rose from the dead. So yes. And you may not put it that way. You may put it that way. But m maybe you're not aware of it. All of us wrestle with that. That thing of what does Jesus' resurrection have to do with me, so what? And I've heard a friend of that New York City pastor talk about a woman. This woman from time to time talks about her. This woman was raised as a Hindu, and then she explored the Baha'i faith, which is a new, a recent New Age religion. Uh, and then she became a Christian. And she talks about what it was like to hear about the Christian faith before she became a Christian as someone who had never heard this stuff before. And this is what she says. She says, Christians claim that Jesus was God, the Son of God, and all this stuff about the Trinity. And really, I had no idea what they were talking about. They claimed this resurrection, which made no sense to me. Not that I didn't believe Jesus could rise from the dead if he was God, but I had no idea what possible relevance that could have since I didn't understand anything about the fall, sin, the final resurrection, I assume these were all myths with no more relevant deep meaning than a fairy tale, except maybe metaphorical spiritual meanings. I wasn't even interested because I never understood what importance that event should have for me. No Christian ever explained that to me. They just say crazy stuff like, I've been washed in the blood of the lamb and now I'm saved. Jesus died for your sins. Don't you want to be saved? And then they'd paint portraits of hell and it made zero sense to me. It's just as though someone had said to me, my red balloon popped and then candy canes fell out of the sky. Your rabbit is winking at me. Doesn't all this make you want to buy a new Nissan? She's like, I'm not exaggerating. This nutshell gospel message makes absolutely no sense to a non-Christian, no meaningful sense anyway. You just have no idea what are they so excited about. So Jesus rose from the dead, big whoop. Good for him. So what? 
It's a great, it's a great question. It's a great point. We said this last Sunday that when Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament preach the gospel over and over and over and over, Jesus is telling us that history to Christians is infinitely more important than history is to any other religion, philosophy, or worldview. Because it's not something that we do in this life to win our salvation. It's what Jesus has already done in history that has already won our salvation. It's what Jesus did that is our salvation. And the history of Jesus accomplishing our salvation is the life and death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So it can be this thing of like, okay, I think I get why Jesus had to die. He had to die for our sins. He had to pay that penalty on the cross. Okay, okay. But why did he have to rise from the dead? Short answer. Jesus' resurrection is necessary because eschatology precedes soteriology. Worst sentence ever. So let me explain that. Okay, there was a goal. All that means is there was a goal for mankind from the very beginning of mankind. Think Adam and Eve. Before the fall, before sin, before death was ever a thing with mankind. And the goal was that mankind would also into God's seventh-day Sabbath rest uh, with God. Now, what does that mean? Okay, Remember that God created everything in, in six days, it tells us. God, God created all of creation in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. There, that is a pattern. That is a framework given to us of the goal of, uh, from the beginning of mankind is that mankind would enter into God's heavenly rest with God, body and soul. It's an invitation of do your work, and then you get rest, just like God, and you're made in his image. So while Adam was created very good, he was not perfected until he completed his work, the work that God had given him to do after the pattern that God had set for him in his work creation. Do, like, do your work, and then you will earn this heavenly rest, this awesome eternal reward. So while Adam was very good, he still had a body that could die until he passed that test in the garden. Uh, if, if he had a body, if he didn't pass his test, he was going to die. If he passes it, he's going to live forever. If he had passed that test, that it happens at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's Satan. If he had passed his test and not gone with Satan, stayed with God, not disobeyed, but obeyed, he would have been granted to eat at that other tree, the tree of life. This, this, this sign and seal of eternal life, he would have opened the way to heavenly glory if he had done his work. He would have entered into God's Sabbath rest, the way to being with God in heaven, physically, bodily, truly. There wouldn't have been this separation from like, oh, well, now my soul will go into heaven and my body, I guess, will go in the ground here. And there's, no, all of him, body and soul, would have gone into heaven. All of him would have been ushered into heaven, only now he would have been perfected. He'd have been ethically perfect, not able to sin, bodily perfect, not able to die. That was the goal from the beginning. From the beginning in the garden, there was an eschatology, a, just about, ulti, that's a word for ultimate things. There was a path toward ultimate heavenly existence. But Adam failed. He sinned, and instead of earning heaven and eternal life and glory for himself, 
for all of mankind who he represented, including us. He earned death, and he earned condemnation for himself and for all of mankind whom he represented. That means death is not natural. Death is the penalty for sin. If there had been no sin, there would have been no death. Another part of the Bible says, as in Adam all die, and now the punishment, the penalty of death, it looms over all of mankind. And that's a really offensive thing to say today. And that's not, that's not new. Talking about death like that has, has always, it's always been taboo. It's always been offensive. The Greeks and the Romans who are hearing this gospel stuff for the first time, the, the, the world that this goes out into, they essentially denied their grief. So in the face of death, the Epicureans said, what does it really matter? You live your life realizing that there is no life beyond the grave, and when you die, you're rot. Death is the end of everything, and after death, there's only oblivion. So eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow it's all over. And in the face of death, the Stoics said, it is what it is. It's nature. Don't fight fate. That's just the way it goes. Get over it. Some of the traditional Greeks said, well, maybe there's, you know, the ones who like Zeus and like, there's probably something for the soul after death. We'll find out. Who knows? Which means the physical really is meaningless. And today it's it's the same old, same old. Um, We remove ourselves from death today as much as possible. We try to avoid it as long as possible. Eating, healthy, exercising, medicine, we, those are good things. But we avoid the inevitability of death, or we just don't talk about it. We outright deny it, and it's kind of like a giant conspiracy. And I've, been to, I've been to many funerals, and I've heard many funerals where families uh, want the service to be a celebration of life, and I, I get that. I understand that. I really do And we should recognize that when a loved one dies, it's terrible, it's significant, it's devastating. And a long and beautiful life doesn't mitigate, it doesn't lessen the terribleness of of someone, someone passing. It just heightens it. Every death is a life cut short because we're not created to die. So we can avoid, or or we just let's not, let's just laugh in its face. Let's just let let's, others try the way of mocking death. There's this show. It's called The Office. Uh, but the original creator and star of the original UK version is a guy named Ricky Gervais. He's a renowned atheist. He's a comedian. And he has said this. He said, I don't fear death. I won't know about it. That's the best thing about being dead. You don't know about it. It's like being stupid. It's only painful for others. And you, it's fine. You can shrug off death. Like, you can shrug off death in your head like that, but believing that doesn't actually shrug off death. And, by the way, none of us live like life and death are meaningless, not even Ricky Gervais. Others go the way uh, and acknowledge that death is for real, and we know about it, and we face it, and it's fine. Uh, This is kind of a twist on the stoicism idea of this is trying to make friends with death. Say things like, well, death is natural. It's a, it's a sentimental approach to death. Like, let's sentimentalize this thing. Death is just a part of life. Erroneous. That is just a big, old, inconsistent, ironic, contradictory, nonsensical, non sequitur lie. 
the good news of that Sunday morning when Mary finds Jesus, the good news of that Sunday morning at the tomb of Jesus is that as death overcomes Jesus, Jesus overcomes death. That on the cross, death thinks it's defeated Jesus. On the cross, Jesus does take death on himself. And we mean death, death. He, he bears the punishment of death, uh, that second death, eternal death, condemnation. Jesus takes the flood of God's fiery judgment that is due to our sin, and he's condemned for our disobedience. But then he is raised for his obedience. This came up in our youth time, just I think it was last Sunday, that the Romans crucified hundreds of thousands of people. And so what's different about Jesus? We sat there, we paused, and then someone said it, well, they all remained dead. But Jesus did not remain dead. Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord over death because he breaks the power of death in himself so that he can break the power of death in us. With Jesus, death is not the end. With Jesus, death becomes the way to life that does not end. With Jesus, it's not over when you die. With Jesus, there is something new when you die. Jesus will lead you through death, and he's the only one who can because of his resurrection, and he will give it to you. He will give you that resurrection after you die. This means that not only is history infinitely more important to Christianity than any other religion or, or worldview, the future is also infinitely more important to Christianity than, to any, uh, than, than it is to any other religion or worldview or philosophy. All the world and all the religions of the world have to offer is consolation for suffering and death, which in the end, it has to admit, they all have to admit that life is meaningless and your physical suffering and death is meaningless because we're either headed for non-existence or just some spiritual existence away from the physical. Christianity does not offer consolation in the face of death. Christianity offers resurrection. The plan was always to get us to heaven physically, bodily, glorified. So, if your body is breaking, if, you, uh, if your body is already broken, or if your body does break one day, if your heart is breaking, or it's already broken, or breaks one day, if you are sick, or if you are injured, if you are lonely and you are empty, you know, whether cancer takes you in the end or some other sickness or you were burned to death or you were shot or you were drowned or old age takes you in your sleep and you are put in the ground and you slowly decay, God is going to raise your body and not in weakness, but in power and in beauty and in righteousness and join your glorified soul to your glorified body that will never be able to be hurt, dishonored, decay, or die again. And then your hope is infinitely bigger than just heaven. Your soul going up there, which is, it is peace, it is rest from death and, and, and misery uh, for this time, but everyone up there, the souls in heaven up there, are waiting for Jesus to come back because our hope is bigger than just that heaven. It is new heavens, new earth. It is physical resurrection to unimaginable glory. 
and celebrating and love and hugs and kisses and laughing and feasting forever and worshiping and dancing, and it will never end. And it's Jesus who has already won that for you. It is already yours. And it is more certain than death because of Jesus' resurrection. And so, yes, the resurrection also makes a difference today, too. Because the present is infinitely more important to Christianity than to any other religion or worldview. Our, our passage begins with, when the Sabbath was past. The New Testament doesn't talk about any other days of the week, except it talks about the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, the Old Testament Jewish Sabbath, that pattern of work, earn your rest, and the New Testament talks about the first day of the week, Sunday. talks about it eight times. One Old Testament commentator has pointed out that really you're supposed to see Jesus' resurrection on the first day as the eighth day of the week, as it were. That Jesus was crucified on Friday, then there's Saturday, the, the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, and that's the end, right? Except it's not the end. Then Easter Sunday comes, and it is an eighth day. It is a new day unlike any other because this cycle of seemingly unending weeks, week after week after week of toil and hardship and no rest, of suffering and death, Jesus' resurrection on the first day, it is the new day. And that is why our church gathers on, the, on this new day Sunday. It is a proclamation that Jesus is the victor over the enemy, over sin and death. And he really reigns as king of kings right now. So our gathering here, when we gather here on Sundays, it is not, it's not a symbol of what's going on in heaven right now with Jesus and his angels and the spirits of saved people. Our gathering, what we are doing right here, right now on Sunday, it is an extension of that heavenly reality. This is not yet the full gathering of God's people, not yet the final day uh, of the Lord, but it is, today is already a participation of it. We have entered into a new day, that eighth day, and the special significance of Sunday, it's, it's the set time to come together and meet with the risen Lord. You know, what's important is the time. It's not, it's the day. It's not the space. It's not where do we do this. Jesus says, this is why Jesus says, or the angel says to uh, the women, he says, go and tell them, Jesus will meet them in Galilee. Galilee? Why not Jerusalem, the capital of, no, that's done. No, he'll meet you in Galilee, he'll meet you in Gentile country, because this is something new. And what is, what is really unique about Mark's gospel is that purposeful omission of Mary's encounter and Jesus's encounter with the disciples that day. Like, like them, like the original recipients of Mark's gospel, like, we're, like you finish it and you're like, whoa, wait, wait. Like that anticipation is supposed to grab you. We're supposed to live with great anticipation. Mary, who is about to meet Jesus, just moments later, she is full of anticipation. And for us too, this day, it is the day of resurrection. This is the day of Christ. And we meet with him now, but very soon, the promise is, the anticipation is, we will meet him face to face. 
like Mary and Peter, only in the eschatological sense of Jesus getting us out of our graves and giving us the, uh, this resurrection like his. Here's, the so what is the resurrection, it has already begun. The final resurrection, it has already begun with Jesus. And that means is like Jesus rose from the dead. So what for today? The so what is everything. The so what is resurrection is real. It's true. It's here. And it's certain for us because it's certain for him. We, what does the resurrection mean? It, it's so simple we can pass over this. It means you don't worship a dead Savior. It means Jesus is alive right now. The so what of resurrection is that Jesus is alive and he can help you with everything that you're facing. With all of the suffering and all of the pain and all of the brokenness, he is alive with you in it. On the first day of my, I just end with this. On the first day, I've told you all this a bunch of times. You know, you go, you go to seminary and you have a bunch of aha moments. Some of them are simple, like really, really profound, and you're still like, I'm still grasping with them. Uh, others are just, they're so simple, but they blow you away. On the on the first day of my first class in seminary, this is one of the, maybe the biggest aha moment. My beloved professor Rick Lentz, he walks in, he sits down, he gives some formal introduction and welcome to his systematic theology class. Uh, this one's on Christology, and, and then he asks the class, okay, so where's Jesus right now? And, you know, you're, I'm, I'm first year. We've got second years, third years, fourth years in there, and no one answered, and you've got uh, uh, everyone's there. And I thought, okay, uh, all very, very smart and sure of themselves, seminary students, uh, at least, you know, biblically speaking, and no one said a word. And I thought, well, I know the answer, but I don't want to embarrass the other students in here. I think I'm like the youngest one here, so I'll just sit here quiet and humble, and I'll grin. And there's just silence. And then it became awkward silence. And Rick is not saying anything. And the suspense is building just enough to where I start to doubt my answer. Like, oh, wait, maybe I'm, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I like, and if I, now if I answer, I'm going to look like the biggest idiot. Uh, okay. And he still doesn't say anything. And then it hits me. Like this most brilliant aha moment of teaching. And I look around to make sure that I'm not the only one who is tearing up. And I'm not. This moment where I think we all got it. He's purposefully letting the unbelievable reality of the gospel settle in and shake us. That Jesus right now is raised from the dead. And he is ascended to heaven. He is physically, bodily, glorified, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and He is ruling over the cosmos. And He is ruling over the people He loves. And He is with us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, we pray uh, that um, as big as the resurrection is, that we would make... Um, some sense of it this morning, of the reality of, uh, of your glorious resurrection. Father, we, we have to walk by faith. We can't see you, and we so desperately want to see you. Uh, and, and it's hard because all we see in front of us is, is, is hardness and, and darkness and pain. We pray that you would bless us to have the eyes of faith to look past those things to see what is eternal 
to see what is true in the heavens. Father, uh, that your son is alive, that he's done what we can't do, and that changes everything today, and it will change everything in the days to come and everything at that final day when your son returns. Give us those eyes of faith, Lord. We pray that it would make a difference today and tomorrow and the next day until you come back or until you call us home. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.